Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning, everybody. There we go. There we go. Uh, so we are finishing up the series 12 Apostolic Men today, looking at what happened to them next. So we've looked at uh, who they are and how Jesus went and got them, uh, what they're known for, what they're like. Uh, so today is week four, where'd they go next and how are they remembered? So today is the picture day class. Yay. Not, not a group picture. It's going to be pictures on the screen. So that's the, that's the idea. Uh, so knowledge objectives, what we've looked at so far, to be able to list the 12 apostles, understand how they're chosen, see the types of people God chooses. Uh, and we really looked at the diversity and the, the variety of people that are just in that list, uh, from political, from socioeconomic, from personality, just a very, very broad set of folks. So number five is to see how time with Jesus changed them. So if we think about what they did in the last couple of weeks, what they were known for, and the radical change that happened as a result of spending that time with Jesus. And then number six, and this is, this is as non-Baptist as I can be, okay, to understand their symbols in everyday life. Because in a lot of different denominations, uh, there is art that is relevant to theology. I know this is shocking, right? Art that is relevant to theology. And we typically don't do that in Baptist circles. Uh, don't know why, uh, but we, we typically don't. So I just want you to be aware of some things that are supposed to trigger certain, uh, certain remembrances in us around Scripture. So uh, first question is, where did they go next? And, and everybody's scattered, basically. Uh, there, was a, there was a period where Jesus gets crucified, uh, John hung around, and everybody else just kind of scattered. Uh, and everybody we think, except Judas Iscariot, recovered because the, the day of the crucifixion was not a good day for the apostles. Uh, it was a day of shame. It was a day of regret. It was a day of abandonment. It was a day that was just sad because their rabbi, the man that they had sworn that they were going to follow, was put down. And this is a problem. What, what do the Talmudim do? What do the followers do when their rabbi dies? Uh, and this was a good example of, of we get to see behind that curtain. So uh, how are they remembered? So I'm going to talk a little bit about church history and church tradition, um, and we'll, we'll see how this works. I need your Bible real quick. Thank you. Anybody have a non-Bible book in the room today? A non-Bible book. Any book other than the Bible? Cool. Oh, that's a good one. Andrew Murray, Teach Me to Pray. Anybody read this book? Yes? It's a good book, right? Yes, it's a very good book. Now, here's a question. Andrew Murray, Teach Me to Pray, the Bible. Which, which way? This way? This, like, like, this way? What's that? Yeah, this is the Bible. Oh, the Bible is heavier, yes, very good. But the Bible is of more importance, right? Correct? Would we say, if Andrew Murray stated something that was in direct opposition to the Scripture, which, which would we say wins? Scripture wins, right? Okay. If we say Andrew Murray talks about something that's not in the Bible, we go, okay, maybe that's a good observation, right? So what if I had a history textbook? What if I had a history book? And I said, history book, Bible. Well, depends, right? Depends. If, if this is written by uh, Atheists Anonymous, uh, probably not as far as how things started and began. But if we're talking about American history and things that happened 100 years ago, okay, well, that's not covered in the Scripture. 
right? Because the period of the Scripture ended at a certain point as far as the historical review. So there are other things, other church writings that we have that we know that lend themselves towards a good representation of what's going on. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um, there, are, there are microphones that should stay close to your mouth. So they lend themselves toward a good interpretation of what's going on. So the question I have is how do we know when to trust the history and when not to trust the history? Because you know that there are other Gospels, right? There's the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and there are dozens of other Gospels. Do you know this? Yes? Why don't we trust them? Why don't we use them? Well, they're not part of the canon of Scripture, and two, they have errors in them, right? There's just some, there's just some things that aren't quite true. So, so since that's the case, we can use some historical information, but we wouldn't put them on the same plane as Scripture. And there's a ton of writing like this in church history. Now, one of the things that happened when somebody would write a letter, when an apostle would write a letter to a church, is that church would make copies of it. And they'd make copies, and they'd make copies, and they'd make copies, and they'd make copies. And there would be academic people that would rise up that would comment on these copies of the Scriptures. And they would comment in their writings, and they would quote large portions of the Scripture. We can actually recreate the entirety of the New Testament just from the commentaries in the first and second century. They quoted that much scripture. So even if the original copies of the scripture did not exist today, which we don't know where those are, even if we didn't have the copies of the actual scripture, we could go to the commentaries and learn, we could put the entire Bible together, which that's kind of handy. So it was, it was copied over and over and over and over. And along with their commentary, they would tell stories about what happened to the people in the Bible after the Bible ended. Like, oh, well, that's kind of handy. Now, as with all stories, some fish get larger with the telling, right? And sometimes it's, well, that looks like a very, very reasonable story. We'll go over some of those today, and you will know immediately, oh, yeah, that's, that's a fish story. Yeah, that's, that's no doubt about that. that. That probably didn't happen that way. So we'll look at several of those today. So the what happened next. Now, the question that I have not answered in this entire series is, so why are the apostles important? Nobody's actually asked me that question. So, so what? Why are they important? So a couple different reasons here. Number one, their ministry as witnesses for the resurrection. It's your first blank. If you're a blank filler, that's your first blank. Their, their ministry as witnesses for the resurrection. Um, and, and this was one of the characteristics that, that one of the job descriptions for being an apostle is you had to have seen Jesus Christ resurrected. So when we think about the apostles, they saw that. Jesus came to them. They saw him. When we think about in the New Testament later on, uh, Paul was an apostle. So why does Paul get to be qualified as an apostle? He saw Jesus as, as resurrected, absolutely. Now, he saw him in a different way, but he absolutely, he, he had that experience. Um, and then there are other people listed in the New Testament that are called apostles. And we go, well, they didn't follow Jesus around their entire lives. And my answer to that is, are you sure? Because Jesus had a whole bunch of folks that followed him around. And in the New Testament, it talks about 500 people saw him resurrected. So that whole set of 500 are candidates to be apostles because they are witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, they're not named specifically in the New Testament. All of them aren't. But there's a very large population of people who were apostles in that sense. Now, now, specifically, the 12 apostles, the, the 11 that survived uh, after the crucifixion, 
uh, number two applies to is their ministry as teachers. And this is what Jesus told them. This is one of their, their big jobs was to go and to teach what I have taught you. Right? So you get to set the boundaries for how all of this is going to work. Jesus gave them, here's, here's the box that we're going to live in, and you go implement. And if you remember back to that first week, the story I told in the first week around Jesus goes back to heaven and Gabriel and Jesus are talking. This is a fictional story. And Gabriel says, hey, you know, you've, you've come back, but doesn't doesn't look like there's a lot of structure down there. Kind of looks like we've just left this in the hands of some fishermen. So what's plan B? And, and Jesus says, well, I don't, I don't have a plan B. And Gabriel says, well, what happens if Peter goes back to fishing? What happens if John gets scared? What happens if Andrew decides that he wants to go do something else with his life? He's like, well, it's entirely up to them. I've given them the Holy Spirit, but it's entirely up to them. Which is kind of a scary concept, right? Because it's up to us now. This is where this is. Um, but their, their ministry as teachers was incredibly, incredibly important to make sure that the church stayed on the right track. So somebody has to be in charge, otherwise things tend to get off track. You ever experienced anything where nobody was in charge and something veered off to the left or to the right? Yes? Um, we'll hold our political comments for later. Yes, okay. Uh, so the first one up, uh, the first one in any list is Peter. So let's talk about Peter for a second. Peter is the one we know the most about from, from the Bible itself, basically because the first half of the book of Acts is it's the Peter show. I mean, it is just all about the Simon Peter. The second half is all about the Apostle Paul. But uh, Peter gets a story told about him in all four Gospels right after, uh, right immediately before the crucifixion. And it's the story of his denial of Jesus Christ. All four Gospels record this. It's kind of like there's no safe haven in the Gospels for Peter. I mean, he just he gets called out here. Uh, and in John chapter 21, I love John chapter 21. If you haven't read this in a while, please go read John chapter 21. John chapter 21 is where Jesus comes and he makes breakfast. And I love it because he takes the thing that Peter had based his life around, which was fish in the fishing industry, and he says, Peter, you love me more than this? Or are you going to go back to your old ways? This is the emotion that's going through Peter's head is that this is my industry. This is what I used to make my living off of. Am I going to go back to that or am I going to follow my rabbi? It's a great question and Peter chooses wisely. Right? He chooses wisely. So the first part of Acts is pretty much just about Peter. Uh, I won't go through all the details there, but he goes on to write 1 Peter and 2 Peter. That's the same guy. Um, and your next blank here is, according to the traditions of the early church, he was crucified upside down. He was crucified upside down. And Nero had it in for the Christians. This would have happened somewhere around 65 A.D. Uh, and they went to crucify him right side up, as you would normally see, and Peter objected. He said, I'm not worthy to be crucified in the same manner as my Lord Jesus. And the Romans obliged him. So they crucified him upside down. Now, you're aware of how you actually die when you get crucified, right? How do you typically die? Asphyxiation. You suffocate to death. So if you turn somebody upside down, does that make that faster or slower? It's faster, actually. It's faster. Because everything is pushed up. It's compressed even more around your neck area. So you would actually die faster. Which I, I'm, I was, It's kind of curious that they would oblige him because that would speed up death. However, think about your mindset. I'm going to be killed and I'm making a request on how they're going to do it. If, 
if I'm looking at a cross, that's not what I'm thinking about. Right? I'm thinking about, can somebody bring me some Advil? Can, does, does, can some, is somebody a good marksman from a distance? You can end this thing quick. You know, what, how can we... But he was, his mindset was, I'm not worthy to be like my rabbi in this. Which is really kind of strange because he was commanded to do exactly what his rabbi did. So, he's known for being crucified upside down. Now, what is Peter's symbol? Anybody got a guess? The rooster. Uh, in some places, yes. There is a more common symbol, though. Uh, the rock is one, yes. In art, in art, what do we think? Keys. Keys are his symbol. Can you hit the button for me? Keys are his symbol. Now, there's a chapel uh, with artwork in it, and I've pulled, I've lifted each one of those. So when you see keys in artwork that has something to do theologically, that's supposed to tell you this is Peter. In early church history, the majority of the Christians were not literate. They did not know how to read. So handing somebody a copy of the scripture, they didn't do a lot. But if we could draw out the stories and you could see how things happened, oh, okay, that's kind of cool. So if you walk into the Sistine Chapel and you look up, there's the Bible stories on the ceiling. And it's meant to remind you of these things really happened. The problem is nobody wears name badges. right? So how do I discriminate between one apostle and another when I don't have a physical photograph of them? Icons and iconography. And it's these little things. So if you see somebody wearing a belt and they've got keys dangling off, that's Peter. If you see somebody holding a key, that's Peter. In uh, Michelangelo's The Last Judgment, it's, on, it's one of the uh, uh, paintings on the top of the Sistine Chapel. Peter's to Jesus' is, let's see, Jesus is here, Peter's right here. He's to Jesus' left, and he's holding this massive key in his hand. And that's to let everybody know that's where Peter is right there. Okay? So we, we can easily identify them. So Peter's symbol are keys. So why would... Why would keys be used? Who gave him some keys? Jesus gave him the keys, right? The keys to what? The church, basically, yeah. Now, what were keys used for? What's a key good for? Locking and unlocking, right? One of the things that rabbis would do in the first century is they would bind or unbind. They would tie it up or they would untie it. And the rabbi had the authority to say this law applies to you or this law does not. They would lock it up for you or they would unlock it for you. And what he's telling Peter is that I'm going to give you the keys so that you can help shape what's in and what's out, what's locked and what's not locked. Okay? So the next one, the next apostle is James the son of Zebedee. Now, uh, James, the son of Zebedee, we actually know how he died uh, in Acts chapter 12. Flip over to Acts chapter 12 for me. <clears throat> he was the second of the original 12 to die. The first of the original 12 was who? Judas, yes. We'll talk about him at the end because that's where the Bible always places him. So the account of James's death is in Acts chapter 12. Uh, it says, Now about that time Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Well, bummer. That was kind of quick, right? Now, why would, why would he pick out on James? What did we learn about James and, and his brother the last couple of weeks? 
Sons of thunder. Do you think James might have spoken out about something? Yeah, I think so. James probably called somebody out for his sin, and Herod probably didn't like it, and Herod had a lot of power, and Herod took care of business. That's what we think happened. So the question becomes... What happened to Herod? Do we know what happened to Herod? We do know what happened to Herod, yes. What, what happened to him? Um, I think he was giving a, some sort of speech up on a yes. platform. Yes. And worms ate. Yes, him. an angel showed up and smote him, as I love the word. And that's the, my King James Version word. Smote him. And he developed a bad case of intestinal worms and died. It's like, dang, that's kind of hardcore. <laughs> it's like intestinal worms. Yep, intestinal worms. Like, okay. Which I think, just perhaps we can draw a conclusion, don't go messing with God's man. Right? Because there are angels, and they can do some pretty crazy stuff. So there was one in the Old Testament that killed 160-something thousand people in one night. Some things you just need to leave the heck alone. So... Uh, so James was the first. Here's your next blank. Uh, James was the first of the twelve to be martyred, and the only one of the apostles whose death after Jesus' ascension is mentioned in the New Testament. So it's the only one that we know definitively for sure. Now, so of course, of course, hit the button for me if you would. Of course, his symbol is shells, because that makes all kinds of sense, right? <laughs> You're like, wait, wait, what? Yes, shells. All right, so here's the story behind the shells. When you see shells in religious art, typically James will have one on his shoulder. This is the really common place to have one. It'll, be, it'll look, like, look like a button, but if you zoom in really close, or if you get up really close, it's actually a shell. The reason for the shell is that there were people in Spain who traveled over pilgrimages to go to worship at where they thought James's body was. They were from the sea, and they carried lots of shells with them, and they sold them along the way. So the shells became known and associated with James. has nothing to do with his life, nothing whatsoever. But if you're looking at a picture of the apostles, Peter's going to have keys, and James is going to have a shell somewhere, and that's just a little symbol to let you know this is where we are. So um, who's the next one? John. So John is interesting. Um, John, as far as we know, was the only apostle that was not martyred, as far as we know. Now, one of the benefits of history, I talked before about all the different people that were writing things down. Um, These were apostles, and they were commissioned to go and to train others. And many of them had their own disciples. Many of them had people that followed after them and wrote down the things that they said. A couple of John's disciples were Polycarp and Ignatius. And these guys were extremely prolific first century, second century writers that wrote down tons and tons and tons of stuff that they said were conversations with John. And one of the things that I, my favorite story about the life of John is that when he was incredibly, incredibly old and he was not able to do things on his own, his, his followers would, would pick him up and they would carry him to the pulpit and they would let him lean up against the pulpit, and this was his sermon. And we have multiple recorded accounts of this. He would lean up against the pulpit, and he would say, little children love one another. And they would take him back and sit down. That was it. That was the whole sermon. 
And some of you are going, bring back John, right? I mean, that would be fantastic. <laughs> Maybe so. But it's interesting to think, you know, he lived so long. He was into his 90s when he died, which is just, again, just absolutely unheard of at this time period. And to think that what he was only solely focused on at the end of his life was that message that Jesus said over and over and over and over. And how does he describe himself in his own gospel? The apostle that Jesus loved, the disciple that Jesus loved, the disciple that Jesus loved the disciple that Jesus loved. And you can, t- you can pick John out very, very easily in art because if Jesus is in the picture, John's leaning up against him. He's very, very close. It's like, I got this thing. We're, we're good. We're very close. Now, when they're, when they're also pictured together, uh, John is typically very young. John was thought to be one of the younger apostles. And if you ever see individual pictures of apostles and you see an exceedingly old man, that's John because none of the rest of them live to be exceedingly old. So you see this really, 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 like, oh, my goodness. I didn't think you could have that many wrinkles. Picture, that's probably Apostle John. Now, we know a couple of things about him. Uh, even though he wasn't a martyr, he did suffer a lot of persecution for Jesus. Uh, he was arrested in Acts chapter 4 and again in Acts chapter 5. And then he was exiled to the island of Patmos, and he wrote Revelation there. So... Uh, his symbol is kind of goofy. Uh, I think you'll probably pick up on this is the one that's a little bit flighty. If uh, John wrote a lot of different things, and he ticked a lot of people off with his writings. Uh, the emperor Domitian was one of those, and Domitian hated him. I mean, just absolutely hated him. Several recorded accounts in history of him trying to have John killed, one of which was he tried to poison his wine. So John goes to take a drink of the wine, and the poison evaporates into the form of a snake, and crawls away. <laughs> Hashtag challenge, right? I mean, not so sure about that one, so hit the button for me. So his symbol is obviously a chalice with a snake coming out of it. Because, of course, that points directly to a Bible story that we all know and no, 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 no. So it's, it's kind of awkward because I'd hate to be remembered for a snake coming out of my drink. Just kind of weird. Uh, but that's where he was. That's what he got remembered for. So, uh, next apostle is Andrew. Andrew. And tradition tells us that Andrew traveled and preached in Greece. Uh, He was martyred, uh, being crucified on an X-shaped cross. On an X-shaped cross. This wasn't his request, it was just just what he did. Uh, Several accounts say that he actually lived for two days on this cross. Because of the, the relief, this would not have been nearly as much pressure on his lungs at an angle. At a slight angle, it would have been much less pressure. You know what he did for two days? He preached. And you're just like, holy cow, okay. I give up, right? I mean, it's, we're just absolutely ridiculous. Um, so, of course, his symbol, go ahead and hit the button for me if you would. Of course, his symbol is a big X. Uh, and actually, if you hit it one more time for me, uh, this, anybody know what this is the flag of? Scotland? Yep. It's the flag of Scotland. So there's, there's actually more than one country. I think Greece also has an X on their flag uh, that has adopted this flag, and it's a head nod to Andrew. If you go back and look at the history of it, it's a head nod to Andrew. Now, um, in art, Andrew's not really... Uh, in art, there's usually he's leaning on something that's got an X behind him, but if there's no cross in the picture, the easy way to pick out Andrew is his hair. 
he will have the worst hair of anybody in the picture. And you go, why, why would he have bad hair? Go back to Andrew. Who was Andrew following earlier in his life? John the Baptist. That's right. So they think that Andrew may have wanted to have been like that rabbi, that teacher, and had crazy hair. Because you know, the, the, the assumption is that John did not have really good hair. Okay? So this is how they point Andrew out in the group. So if you want to know who Andrew is, his hair is kind of going crazy. And it's, it literally is. You can go back and look at groups of the apostles in paintings, and it's, his hair will be going crazy. Um, so it's, I think it, that, that's the funniest point of all of today, I think. So next in line is Philip. Uh, and there's a lot of confusion and a lot of conflicting stories about Philip because there's more than one Philip in the New Testament. So a lot of overlapping information. Um, a lot of traditions mix the two up. Uh, but they think that he was flogged and imprisoned probably in uh, Phrygia, which is spelled with a PH, not with an F, so it's interesting to know. Uh, but John chapter 6 talks about the feeding of the 5,000, and we talked about this actually last week. Uh, and Philip's question, or Jesus' question to Philip was what? Anybody remember? Where do we find bread? And Philip's answer was what? 200 days worth of pay is not enough to, find the, to pay for the bread. It's like, that's not the question I asked. I asked where. I didn't say how. Philip answered the how. So Philip is remembered, if you hit the button for me, Philip is remembered for bread. So this is a head nod back to the bread story, feeding of the 5,000. So if you see, uh, and sometimes he'll be holding a piece of bread or a loaf of bread. Uh, it, so that's how you could pick him out. All right, so Thomas... One of my favorites. Um, I can relate to Thomas quite a bit. In John chapter 20, flip over there to John chapter 20. We'll start in verse 24. So this is after the crucifixion, after the resurrection. John chapter 20 says, Now Thomas called the twin. Again, a lot of people think they called him the twin because he probably looked like Jesus himself. One of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he, Thomas, said to them, Unless I see his hands and the print of his nails and put my finger to the print of his nails, put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them, and Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, who was not, Jesus was not in the room when Thomas said this originally. He was not physically in the room. He said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas, what's the next word? Answered. Did it say Thomas put his hands there? No, he didn't do it. He just answered. And he said what I think is the greatest confession of faith in the history of the world, my Lord and my God. It's just, he got it right there. He got it. He understood what this was all about. My Lord and my God. And Jesus said, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. And then he goes on. He talks about us. Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. Yes. Cool. We're in there too. We're in that verse. In verse 29, we are there. Now, a few weeks, months, years later, Thomas gets up and gets it in his heart to walk over 3,000 miles and share the gospel to India He walked from Israel to India. 
I did Google Maps on this earlier this week, just because I had to, right? The walking path from <laughs> Jerusalem to Mumbai. There's a lot of steps, guys. There's a lot of steps. Um, actually, the, that browser window crashed. It kept crashing on me. It would not load that much information. He just went and took the gospel to India. Now, Thomas is uh, known for, we believe, that he was actually stabbed with a spear uh, because there were some folks in India that did not appreciate the gospel. Uh, and Thomas, when he showed up, uh, he, there's several accounts of him saying, I'm going to physically build a church. Like, we think that he had some level of carpentry skills. So his symbol, if you hit the button for me, his symbol is a spear with a carpenter's square. Uh, and the carpenter's square actually serves two different functions. One is it shows his carpentry ability. And two, it show, it, it's, supposed to res, it's supposed to resonate with the rational, logical mind. Somebody that wants to calculate and think things through and need proof and go step by step. It's meant to evoke those types of images in your mind. So that is his uh, symbol. Now, the scariest symbol, go ahead and go to the next one for me if you would, is Bartholomew. Um, there's an early account in church history that Origen's teacher, this is Bartholomew, visited India in the second century and found a copy of Matthew's gospel. Uh, and he was told that Bartholomew had been to India before him and had left it, which is kind of cool. Uh, but Bartholomew died in Armenia, and uh, a, lot of think, a lot of people think that he was actually skinned alive. So I hope you finished with your breakfast. Um, so his symbol are flaying knives. So much like the signers of the Constitution, things did not go well for them necessarily as a result. The followers of Jesus, they did not all end wonderfully. Uh, they didn't all live their best life now. Okay? So if you think about uh, art, go to the next picture for me. This is a, a pi- I had to censor a little here because Michelangelo was just okay with things. And I, I didn't feel like we should go there in Sunday school. So sound effects. There we go. So this is Bartholomew. Jesus is right here. This is also in the Last Judgment. This is Bartholomew, and he is holding something. He is holding his skin. Which I think, um, I think, is actually closer to hell than heaven. Having to hold my skin for all of eternity that they cut off of me. I don't want to remember that. I want to be hanging out with Jesus. I want to do that. I don't necessarily care about uh, holding onto my skin if I get flayed alive at, alive at the end of my life. So Michelangelo's theology, little flawed here, but this was his way that he identified, hey guys, this is Bartholomew. So the next is Matthew. Uh, and we think Matthew died in Ethiopia. Uh, he preached the gospel there. Um, the symbol for Matthew is pretty straightforward. Uh, it actually ties back to the biblical account. If you go to the next slide for me. Uh, it's, what do you think these are? Money bags. That's right. Money bags. It ties back to his being the uh, tax guy, right? So he was the oh, hashtag accountant's rule. Uh, go global. There you go. Uh, sometimes you'll see an axe or a book uh, that Matthew is carrying. A lot of the gospel writers, they will carry books in, if, they're, if you see a figure. Uh, if you see a book, it's either Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Uh, if they're holding a scroll, that's typically one of the apostles because these are the words that are my, this is my authorization to go and be and, and do what I need to do. So scrolls are apostles, books are gospel writers. 
Uh, so James, uh, the son of Alphaeus, we know very, very little about him. Uh, the, the church history here is that he went back to Jerusalem where the Judaizers tossed him off of the temple. He did not die. So they stoned him. He mostly died. Um, there's varying accounts as to whether or not he was dead before his symbol. If you'll hit that slide for me. Um, and they cut him in half. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it gets... The symbols are kind of rough at times. So, sorry about that. Um, so his, his symbol is the saw. Then we get to Simon the Zealot. Simon the Zealot is next. We think that he was crucified in what is today Britain. Um, he took the gospel to Mesopotamia. Uh, and his, his symbol, if you go to the next one for me, is a fish resting on top of a Bible. So what do you think this is meant to imply? This is an easy one. He's a fisher of men, yes. Ta-da! There you go. Which I think would have been a better symbol for Simon Peter, but Simon gets lumped in here as well. So, uh, The next to last is Judas. And the church in Armenia is a big Judas fan. Uh, they, they had their uh, national religion stated as Christianity in 301 A.D. The problem was Christianity had spread at that point, but before then they weren't big Judas fans. Uh, this is not Iscariot. This is uh, Judas, also known as Jude or Thaddeus. Um, and they actually had him killed. So Judas's symbol is a ship, actually, if you go to the next one. Uh, and this is meant to remind us of the missionary journeys that he took because we have records of him going to lots and lots of different places. Lots of different places. And then the last apostle uh, was Judas Iscariot. The last disciple was Judas Iscariot. It's an interesting question, was he an apostle? Um, he obviously killed himself. This story is told in several different gospels. Matthew 27 has a real clear account. Uh, and in art, here's your blank, he never has a halo. He's easy to pick out because he's the one guy that does not have a halo. I thought that was funny. Josh laughed. Thank you very much, Josh. Uh, but it's also sad at the same time because he was an extremely, extremely troubled individual at the end of his life. So you say, Jim, what is the point here? Well, maybe you won't be so scared of religious art. Maybe. Uh, but it's not how you start. It's how you end. It is not how you start. It's how you end. If we look back on these guys' lives, they started and they weren't the best. And they weren't the best. And then Jesus picks them. He drafts them. Then he go play for the master. And then he dies. And they regroup. And they go and they spread the gospel all over the world. It is absolutely beautiful how these guys ended. So what do I do with that? We'll finish well. And then number two, sometimes we're remembered for the small things. Right? Sometimes we're remembered for the small things. I don't know how you remember people. I like to remember people by actions that I can associate with who they are. Um, and sometimes it's very, very small, and sometimes they're really, really big. But a lot of times it's just, oh, I remember that person. They did. Da, 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 da. Yeah, absolutely. And these folks get remembered for these things. So pay attention. Pay attention to the small things here because they can be incredibly important, and that can be what we're remembered by. So a couple resources at the bottom of the page there. Uh, obviously the Gospels, the Acts of the Apostles, uh, the movie Twelve Angry Men. Uh, and then a couple links there for you to go and check out and really read a lot more than what I talked about today on how to recognize these folks. What are they known for? Um, and how not to be intimidated when you see religious art because that's okay. As a Baptist, we can appreciate it too. All right? It's all right. So, any questions on this? Any questions? Going once. 
twice. All right, so let's do our prayer time now. If you'll take a couple minutes, share your prayer requests, make sure those are written down on that uh, page in front of you. And uh, I'm going to open the doors in about three minutes, so let's move pretty quick on this because it's family day and we need to be welcoming. So your homework for today is to sit next to someone you don't know. There will be plenty of them today. Sit next to someone you don't know and smile. Okay? And maybe even talk to them. That'd be awesome too. Excellent. Good. Thanks for coming today, guys.